You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schliff. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. So first of all, I want to thank all of you who apparently um, don't care that I stopped begging you for iTunes reviews. I just went to check it for the heck of it. Um, keeps going up. We're four away from 100. So if you got something, nothing going on right now, if you happen to be so inclined to leave a review, get us up to 100. I know I'm not supposed to ask. But, I mean, I'm four away from 100, so I'm going to ask. So, really do appreciate that. It would also help because I'm currently losing in a poll on Twitter. I don't know the purpose of the poll. I had no intention of, of winning the poll. But I kind of thought I would lose to somebody who's, like, you know, popular on Twitter. The guy started with nine followers. And it was kind of like, all right, whatever. I'm not super popular on Twitter. I don't like Twitter. Twitter doesn't like me. Not a big deal. I got a podcast thing. And that's going pretty well. Then the dude comments from his other account. And I'm thinking, oh, this is why I'm losing. This is a burner account. Nah, not really. His other account has like 90 followers. To make matters worse, he has a picture of himself. He looks like a 12-year-old boy with that, what is that thing that girls do? That, like, my, you know, that like 12-year-old girls do? Where you take a picture and it turns you into like a puppy? And they're like, oh, look how pretty I am. Yeah, it's like a little, it's a young boy who did that to his face, who made himself look like a pretty puppy, and he's like eating a donut or something. I don't know what he's doing with it. It looks like a donut, and it says something about America. I don't know. It's in reverse view, and it's like, it's not going in his mouth because it's like above his, I don't know what's happening, but I don't want to lose to that guy. I want to lose to the other guy who has 40,000 followers on Twitter. I want to lose to that guy. So if we could pick one of these things to accomplish today, I'd be very happy, friends. Either beat that guy, or let's bring her up to 100. The poll, by the way, is uh, being conducted by King Day. He's got a bunch of followers, Packer guy. Whatever. I don't, I, whatever. I'm not, this is not how my day is going to go. Just not going to happen. So anyways, let's talk about some other stuff. If you'd like to get involved in the Facebook group, we still got the um, seven-round mock draft going. So far, David Montgomery, the running back, is uh, far ahead. Blaine, I apologize. I got much love for Justice Hill. Also, Billy, how dare you put Gerald Willis in there. I voted for him, by the way, because that's hilarious. But yeah, be sure to get in the Facebook group, and uh, I don't know, why not? Jump in the mock draft, man. Otherwise, if you'd like to get involved, text or call 608-501-0718. Text or call with your questions, comments, but not your concerns, 608-501-0718. And by the way, the questions and comments would be pertaining to the Green Bay Packers. Any concerns you have in life, you can feel free to direct to your mother. All righty-dighty, let's, uh, well, all right, I guess I got to put an ad here. Catch you on the other side. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. All right, so I want to spend a little, at least a little bit of time talking about the fact that Clay and Cobb are gone. 
Um, I guess I'm a... I don't know, it's weird. I don't know if I'm just getting used to it, which isn't great, or if it's just because I knew it was coming. But typically, when guys that have been with the Packers and have been a mainstay for the Packers for so long leave, it's like a crushing thing. I'm not really feeling that. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Either way, it's a very, very sad thing. Especially if you get all nostalgic, which um going to kind of do a little bit. But I will say this. I think Clay Matthews has a lot to give, um, especially if the Rams are smart enough to move him to inside linebacker. I think he can be a good player. They offered him a two-year deal, which I think is awesome. And beyond that, there's no question Clay Matthews through and through is a California guy. Always has been, always will be. His family's still out in California. So this is, I mean, this is perfect for him. A two-year deal to keep playing football and to be close to his family is just, it's awesome. He was never meant to be in Green Bay, but I also never remember hearing him complain once. I don't remember hearing him gripe about players. I don't remember hearing him gripe about coaches. I don't remember hearing him talking about Green Bay or the cold or anything. Maybe I just misremember, but Clay Matthews, in my opinion, is the epitome of, you know, be quiet and just do your job. He had some fun along the way. He was a little bit violent. He brought an edge to the defense that I hope we can continue with some of the newer guys with Zedarius and Preston and whatnot. Obviously, Mike Daniels is going to carry that torch for a while. But Clay just seems like a straight-up good dude. The only other time I ever saw this dude in the offseason wasn't something about him driving 90 miles an hour on coke with, you know, weapons and people that should not be in his car. It was usually he was at a hospital visiting children. And if you think about it, let's just be honest here. Clay Matthews is a very, very rich guy who is in very, very good shape and happens to be someone, I don't know how to say it, let's just say if he decided he wanted to just have a lot of fun with his life, that's exactly what he could do. And I'm sure he had plenty, but he had zero obligation to go strutting around at hospitals visiting children and stuff. He's just a good dude. And I'm not going to, you know, throw the line out, oh, he's just doing it for the cameras. No, no, he's not doing it for the cameras. This was not a PR event. He doesn't need PR. He's not up for a contract. And it, I don't know. I'm arguing against people that I don't even know exist, but I'm just, in case that crossed your mind, there is no obligation to do that. Same goes for Aaron Rodgers, by the way. There's a lot of people that think he's a garbage person. I have no indication of that. I think he's secluded. I don't know that he's the biggest people person in the world, but that doesn't make you a bad human being or a person with a bad heart. I think Randall Cobb and I think Clay Matthews are both incredibly good people. I think Randall Cobb and Clay Matthews are exactly the the thing that you point to when you say this is why we care about character in Green Bay. This is why Antonio Brown doesn't fit here. This is why we want to bring in good locker room people because this is exactly what we're looking for. It's not just good for the team, it's not just good for the locker room, it's good for the community and it's good for the state. I mean, the fact of the matter is different teams have different fan bases and different fan bases have different expectations. I am willing to bet the folks over in Philadelphia, in New York, places like that, they don't really care quite as much about your, uh, you know, off-the-field presence. Have you seen how they even talk to each other over in New York? Have you listened to New York media? It's a different breed out there. I think teams in some capacity have to be reflective of their fan bases and their communities. It's probably why Green Bay is going to have a hard time ever having our own little monsters of the midway type thing. Not that it can't happen, obviously. The Packers have had really good defenses. I'm just saying. It's just it doesn't fit the the fan base. And a lot of teams do fit their fan base. The Pittsburgh Steelers, right? That fits. That fits a strong, tough defense. But I think there's there's something about that whole Midwest nice, especially in Wisconsin, 
that is expected to be reflected in the Green Bay Packers. And it's for a good reason. It's not just to reflect the team it's, it's, or to reflect the community. It is good for the locker room. And now that we've set that expectation, we have to have that with our players. But again, Clay Matthews and Randall Cobb definitely embodied that. And I actually just found out at this moment he was married. I didn't even know that. So that explains why he's a good person. <laughs> he's got somebody keeping him in line. That, that answers all my questions. But anyways, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for him. And again, I, I do think that the, the Rams, if they utilize him properly and, and coach him up and, and can acclimate him in that locker room, I think he's got a lot to give. In, in 2017, he had a pressure rate of almost 11%. That's fine. That, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. Again, that dropped to eight this past year, which isn't great. But the versatility, right? The, the ability to cover, the ability to play linebacker. Um, we saw his ability to set the edge. You know, 2018 was, or 2017 was really just an, a, a bang-up year for him. I mean, what one of his best ever, but definitely his best since probably 2012. So right situation for him. He's going to be a good football player. As for Cobb, the only thing I don't like about this, aside from, you know, not being a huge Dallas Cowboys fan, is the fact that the Cowboys only offered him a one-year contract. I understand they're they're maybe a little bit shoestrung. They've been throwing a lot of money out there. Maybe they don't have a lot going forward. This is just a one-year thing, whatever. But I've already made the case for the guy. Now, you can definitely look at it and say he's been in a decline for a while. But again, 2017, no Aaron Rodgers. 2018, he's playing injured. Not to mention, you know, the, the offense just wasn't working. Terrible play calls. A stacked wide receiver room. 700 tight ends. There's people just everywhere. And Randall Cobb barely played like a half a season. So, you know, again, as I've said, if you want to count the last two years, fine. He is in a steep decline. If you don't look at the last two years, which makes sense. I mean, it's he's 28. If he was Clay Matthews' age, I'd say, all right, maybe we'll call it a decline. At 28? Come on. 28 is like peak for wide receivers. He's at his peak right now. Running backs, maybe it's the end of the road. That's kind of the, right, you're, you're already maybe a little over the hill. Those guys take a beating. But Cobb, he's still fast. He's still, everything he did for the Packers, maybe a little bit of speed got taken off, but he's still that guy. And again, take away those last two years. He essentially had five good years as a Packers receiver from 2012 to 2016. 2013, he didn't play quite as much, but whatever. You can put the guy at kick return. You can put him in the backfield. Uh, you know, the, the trick plays with him at quarterback, obviously in the slot. It's not going to take a ton of creativity to figure out how to get him involved. And although he doesn't have a very good quarterback, I shouldn't say that. It's, he doesn't have as good of a quarterback in Dallas as he does in Green Bay. The situation in Dallas is probably a little bit better, especially with Ezekiel Elliott on the team, because he will be the primary focus. And they also have Amari Cooper, which is going to take uh, the, the primary wide receiver focus. So you got Randall Cobb going over the middle with everybody's eyes in the middle of the defense looking at Ezekiel Elliott. That's a good situation to be in. By the way, that's kind of hoping what we're hoping to do in Green Bay this, this coming year. I don't know which, which slot receiver is going to take advantage of that, but let's try to get a little bit more attention on Aaron Jones this year, which is never going to happen because we have Aaron Rodgers, which is why Aaron Jones is going to go for 75,000 yards. See, I told you today would be more positive. 75,000, official prediction. Write that one down in your diary. Burn. But it's, it's tough, and I, I think the, the hardest thing is it's not so much, you know, like sadness, but it's just kind of, I don't know. It doesn't have the same feel, you know, for so long because the team was so staunchly drafted and developed. When you made the team, you made the team. And if you got drafted and you could perform, you stayed on the team forever. I mean, several years past your ability to play. I mean, technically, Clay Matthews kind of fell into that category. 
But in a sense, it's a good thing because the team just wasn't working. And Brian Gutekunst is giving us a fresh start. And in a way, even though in no way did Randall Cobb or Clay Matthews contribute. I, I shouldn't say that. I don't know that. I don't believe they contributed to any of the problems. But I, I do think the, the locker room needs a fresh start. And everything that was of the old school in terms of not, not just the play and not just negative attitude, but there needs to be a new positive attitude. And you need to have buy-in. So, so having new guys on the team, having young guys on the team disproportionately isn't a bad thing. And no, I'm not saying that's why we got rid of Clay and, and Cobb. But again, Clay still has it, or excuse me, Cobb still has it, and you can make an argument that Clay belongs. But I just don't think it's the right fit for the Green Bay Packers. The Packers are looking to be new. They're being reborn. New team, new image, new coach, new direction, new energy, new message, new execution, new everything. And again, for the billionth time, this is why we need to protect the locker room because we have a coach that's going to come in to a very open locker room. There is no, well, this is how we've been doing it for so long, and this is how we're, I mean, you could have people like Rodgers or Bakhtiari or whatever drag their feet and have a bad attitude, which would be devastating to the team, and I hope there is none of that. But for everybody else, you're, you're brand new, and you're, you're kind of like, all right, coach, where are we going? What are we doing? How is this, how's this thing going to work? And again, getting the buy-in is going to be the biggest thing, especially from the guys that are sticking around. Rodgers, Bakhtiari, Lindsley, Balaga. You know, these guys who've been like, no, 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 I know how this goes. I know how this works. No, you don't, man. This is a new team. Same locker room, but the old team is gone. McCarthy, his message, his way of doing things is gone. Ted Thompson, his way of doing things is gone. Even the, even the, the structure of the team. You got Mark Murphy, who's, who's lording over the team now that he, he never used to really pay attention much. And by the way, can I just say this? Everybody dumping on Mark Murphy, please stop. Let me remind you of the series of events. Mark Murphy was the guy that was out doing Title Town and doing, um, you know, the, the asking questions on Packers.com. And he was off doing all this stuff where it's like, all right, let's make sure we're making money. Let's make sure that we're kind of pushing Green Bay into the future and all this stuff. And I'm going to let everybody else back here take care of stuff, you know, as far as football play. Then we start losing a bunch, and he turns around. He's going, what's going on here? And you see Ted Thompson, who's not doing a good job in the draft anymore. He's doing nothing in free agency. You see a locker room in disrepair. And you see a b- bunch of coaches doing nothing about it. There's no growth. There's no protecting the locker room. There's no discipline. And it's Mark Murphy that says, okay, I'll tell you what. I'm seizing control because this is all out of control. And he comes in with a heavy hand, and he starts firing everybody. And he gives the job to Brian Gutekunst, but remains in control because he's not ready to turn it over yet. He wants to make sure that people aren't just going to fall back into this comfortable job because it was a comfortable job. Green Bay didn't have an owner. They had Mark Murphy, and again, he had his own job. It was like, you know, I'm the coach, and my job is to run this team, and nobody's going to tell me what to do. Ted's not going to step on my toes. Mark isn't going to step on my toes. I get to do whatever I want, and it got to be a little bit comfortable. Mark Murphy is making it uncomfortable, and good for him. And again, in a way, it's a good thing that Cobb and Matthews are gone, not because I want them gone, not because I don't respect what they've done. I absolutely respect them, but we need to get rid of this notion that we are a draft and develop team to a fault in that if you're drafted here, you stay here forever. You're a lifer, right? This whole, it was basically tenure. If you're a coach here, you're a coach for life and you get to stay until you get hired somewhere else as a head coach or you get a promotion somewhere else. That's how, how Mike McCarthy ran his coaches. I mean, I, I, I talked about it several months ago, but essentially the, the way that this worked was I brought you in I worked you up the ladder, gave you a bunch of promotions, hello, dance party, nice to see you, thanks for joining in, and tried to get you a job somewhere else. So 
if you think about it, if you're a good coach, you leave. If you're not a good coach and can't get a job elsewhere, you stay. And you don't get fired and you don't get replaced. And that's how that worked. Now, there was a little bit of shuffling around going on, but for the most part, we had some coaches that did not belong that were not going anywhere. They were not producing, and they got to stay. And I think at the end of it, Mike McCarthy became one of them. Ted Thompson was producing. He stayed where he was. Players even started not producing, and they got to stay where they were. The new message in Green Bay is you will perform or you will be gone. And again, what did I say about this free agency being a redraft? That even accounts for young guys that we draft that aren't just, you know, not that great. You think haha Clinton Dix would have been gone if, if the old regime was in place? Why? Why would Ted Thompson ever get rid of haha Clinton Dix? I just don't see that happening. I don't see him, first of all, being that proactive. I definitely don't see him shopping him and getting us a fourth-round pick, but beyond that, haha Clinton Dix still had talent. Yeah, he didn't really have a good attitude. Yeah, he took a bunch of plays off, but he's still high upside. He's a first-round guy that I drafted, and, uh, he, you know, he's a lifer. He's a first-round pick of mine. He's not going anywhere. That has to stop. Draft and develop is unbelievably important. It is the cornerstone of any team that is successful in the NFL. If you want sustained success, you do it through draft and develop. That's 100% the case. But you can be draft and develop to a fault, and the Packers were. And again, none of this is, is a slight against Cobb and Matthews. I'm just talking about the way the team is trending, the message the team is sending, something something bending. It just wasn't. It just didn't make sense for Cobb and Matthews on this particular team. And that can be the case. Value is somewhat relative based on the team. You hear that so many times, like, oh, man, look at look at what so-and-so got paid. Why didn't we pay him that? They're worth that. You're right, they're worth that. Absolutely, I agree. I don't think they were worth that to the Packers, though, for all the reasons I just said. And we got to embrace it. Maybe it's going to be a very negative thing. And this is why I keep talking about the importance of protecting the locker room, because it's a very fragile thing as it is. We're walking a very thin tightrope across to the other side, and if we fall too far this way or this way, it's it's kind of game over. We we hitched our the, the team's success on Matt Lafleur, and beyond his play calling, it's going to be his message, it's going to be his his structure, it's going to be the way he practices, the the you know how he practices, the discipline, the teaching, the coaching, the the, the staff that he hired. This has to work. It's kind of like those movies where you're trying to defuse a bomb. And it's like, I don't know, I think it's like the the red wire, but I don't really know. Give me like five more minutes to read this how to how to defuse a bomb manual that they somehow have stashed away and they're flipping through. And then the guy's like, but I don't have time. I got to do it. And he's like, but wait. And then he just cuts it. That's kind of where we're at. We got like three seconds left. And it's like, you know what? We don't have anything else. We just cut the wire the Matt LaFleur wire, and we're either all going to come through this alive and well and prosperous, or this thing is going to blow up in our face. But we have to do everything we can to make sure that this is a successful endeavor. But anyways, wishing them the absolute best of luck. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now... Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. 
So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Uh, I want to get to a couple questions. The first one, funny enough, as I, uh, Rabbit, you got to keep it down, man. Can't be over there digging at your cage when I'm doing a podcast. Yeah, that's right. Go lay down in the corner over there. Rabbit. He thinks just because I like him, I'm not curious what rabbit tacos would taste like. He is sorely mistaken because I am curious. Also, it's a taco, so it's not going to taste bad. But as I was looking at these reviews, I scrolled down to the bottom, and I see that somebody actually laced a question in there, so I'm glad I actually read this. So if you'd like to try that approach, you can. Unfortunately, I can only see three, so it's going to be the last three. But this is a Packer fan in China, which, by the way, one of the things I loved about my old hosting that's supposed to be going on now, and I'm going to have to ask him why it's not working, but it's not working, was the map that showed where everybody was listening from. That was one of my favorite things is to go there and be like, holy cow, the whole world is lit up like a Christmas tree. But very, very happy for all the international listeners, uh, China and elsewhere. As you all know, I am very multilingual, speak several languages fluently. Anyone who disagrees is a liar and a fraud. But uh, anyways, I gather by the name that you are a teacher in uh, Xinying, Xinying, something like that. I know how to say it. I speak Chinese. Get out of my face. Just, just been a while. But the question is, do you see us drafting a top tight end this year? If so, which tight end would you like to see the Packers draft? I really like talking about the Packers drafting a tight end. I just have this hunch, and it's probably because of Ted Thompson, and I shouldn't be using Ted Thompson as my reference for Brian Gutekunst, but I just feel like the Packers are not going to get TJ Hawkinson or Noah Fant. I don't know that. It would be a very un-Packers thing to do if they did it, but it's entirely possible. I just I just feel like that's not a thing the Packers do. Right, the Packers, even though they, yeah, they went out in free agency and got a bunch of people, and I explained how this isn't like a new Packers look necessarily, it's just kind of getting caught up because of a bunch of bad drafts. In other words, we're probably not going to do this next year. I mean, you financially, you cannot sign this many high-contract guys every single year. That's impossible, unless they're all one-year contracts. But overall, the Packers are still conservative. You look at how they structure their contracts, right? They're big down payment guys. I mean, this is... Right, some teams that don't know what they're doing, what do they do? They backload their contracts. This is somebody who goes out and buys a $300,000 house and puts down like $3,000. Like, I will put down 1% because I don't care. Because the person at the bank said I could. They said I could afford it, by the way. Which, by the way, anybody out there buying a house, do not ask a person at the bank what you can afford. They do, they're wrong. I promise you, when they tell you the top end of what you can afford, that is not what you can afford. They're just telling you how much money they would happily give you because it's, it's, it's not a question of what you can afford. It's a question of how much they think you can afford to pay them before you go bankrupt, which the difference between what you can afford and that number, vastly different. If you want to be able to enjoy your life in any capacity, that is not the number you're looking for. But anyways, that's how a lot of teams will structure their deals. It's all kind of backloaded, all this other stuff. The Packers like to put down a massive down payment. That same $300,000 house, they're going to put down like $250,000 up front. That's the Packers. They're a conservative team. They want to do it the right way, by the book. Again, even sometimes to a fault, like draft and develop. Every team is draft and develop to some degree. The Packers are just all the way in on draft and develop. 
So when you look at things like drafting a running back in the first round, drafting a tight end in the first round, they just don't generally do that. They want premium positions, interior pass rusher, cornerback, edge rusher. I mean, the last time they got somebody that wasn't, I mean, I guess it depends what you call a premium position, but one of these that you kind of look at in the first round and go, eh, I don't know, was probably A.J. Hawk in 2006. And they kind of got bit by that one. And Ted Thompson started as a GM in 2005. So that was basically his one. So he got Aaron Rodgers at quarterback, Justin Harrell defensive tackle, um, again, just looking at first round, B.J. Raji and Clay Matthews, so interior guy along the defensive line and pass rusher, Brian Balaga at tackle, Derek Sherrod at tackle, Nick Perry, pass rusher, Dayton Jones, again, defensive line. Packers love defensive line, man. That is like their favorite thing to do, I think, in the first round, getting a defensive lineman, which they're going to love this try. And again, this team loves defensive linemen. Whether that's interior or exterior, it's their favorite thing to do, and this is the most heavy defensive interior and exterior draft ever. 2014, they got HaHa Clinton Dix. Again, depending on what you consider to be premium, but I don't think too many people have ever, I don't think anyone has ever said, I don't know about safety in the first round. All right, tight end, linebacker, running back, maybe interior offensive line. These are kind of iffy. Demarius Randall. Safety slash cornerback, Kenny Clark, interior, Kevin King, cornerback, Jair, cornerback. So, I mean, it would be a departure from that conservative nature to go and get a tight end. And again, as I've said, the track record for, for drafting early tight ends isn't great. Every year, there's elite tight ends. Every single year. And every year, Packers fans, including myself, think, man, it would be awesome if we got that guy. And very often, it's good that we don't. Again, running through the list, Hayden Hurst last year. And last year was a really, really, really popular tight end class. All right, Mark Andrews for a while was, was seen as like one of these just elite, elite guys. He ended up going in the third round. Dallas Goddard, super elite, freakish. He was going to be Zach Ertz. He ended up going in the second round. Hayden Hurst, another really popular guy, went in the first round. I don't think any of these guys necessarily are elite players, at least not yet. I guess Mark Andrews was pretty good for, for Baltimore. Not elite, but considering he went third round, that's pretty solid. How did he end up going third round? I don't get it. Dallas was okay. He was good, right? Just going through the grading system. If you look more into it, it's a lot of, basically it's a lot of really bad games with a couple of really good and elite games mixed in. Hayden Hurst, the other guy Baltimore took at tight end, which by the way, talk about an obsession. Baltimore and tight ends, my goodness. But he didn't really super pan out. In 2017, there was O.J. Howard. O.J. Howard was like the... TJ Hawkinson of, of 2017. Freak. Six foot six, two fifty-one, runs a four five one. I mean he he everything people are saying about TJ Hawkinson, but probably a little bit more. In other words, like fundamentally sound like Hawkinson, but more athletic. At least he got more credit for it. I don't know if he actually was. But in his first year, he graded out pretty poorly. Now this past year, he had an elite grade, but he only played about a half a year. And it was with Fitzmagic, so we'll see what happened. But it seems like a relatively good pick. But the other thing people often say about tight ends is it takes like two to three years for these guys to kind of come into their own. I don't know why it would take that long, but it's kind of the track record, I guess. Evan Ingram, taken by the Giants, pretty similar situation, almost identical actually, and his first year was not very good. Second year ended up being good, but he only played about a half a year. And David Njoku, who was a guy that I really liked, over with the Browns, he's been average for two years. He was a first-round pick as well. And overall, I would say these are pretty big success stories comparatively. You know, I mentioned Max Williams. He's not even probably going to get another contract from the Baltimore Ravens. He was considered kind of a freak. Eric Ebron, Austin Safarian Jenkins, Tyler Eifert. Obviously, Eifert's very, very good. He's just hurt all the time. I don't know. 
I'm not saying it would be a bad thing. It just doesn't feel like a Packers thing to do. Especially when you look at the fact that they're bringing back Mercedes Lewis, they're bringing back Jimmy Graham. It doesn't really super feel... I guess it's not really official on Jimmy Graham. But it just doesn't super feel like a team that's going all in on tight end this year. Not to say they won't draft anybody. I would expect them to get one somewhere. I mean, you, you have to. But the question specifically was one of the tight, uh, the, the, the top tier ones, or whatever the phrasing was. And I, I guess my hunch just says no. Even though, uh, you know, everybody acknowledges the Packers are a good landing spot for either of these guys, Fant or Hawkinson. 12 or 30 or 44, whoever ends up where, great fit. Now, let me put it this way. If Noah Fant happens to fall to 44, I wouldn't be super surprised to see him pull the trigger. Be, you know, First of all, it's their third pick in the draft, so it's not exactly like they're going all in. But also just from a value and need standpoint, it's one of those things where it's like, well, this is just this just feels like an obvious pick. Kind of like Josh Jackson last year. We already got Jair. We didn't take Jackson here. The, the plan probably wasn't to get Jackson. It, it might have even been a question at in the first round, like, who do we take? Well, we're, we're leaning a little more Jair than Josh Jackson. Then he falls all the way to the second round. It's like, I guess we're doubling up because this is just obvious. So it's possible, but I'm going to say no. And for that reason, if I had to pick one of the top two guys, if we're just talking Hawkinson or Fant, I'm just going to say Fant, even though Hawkinson makes more sense with the blocking ability and everything else, the odds that there's going to be a better value with Fant falling deeper in the draft than Hawkinson, I think is, is more realistic. But, but who knows? Fant could go very, very early. Let's not forget how freakishly athletic he is, and it's not very hard to, to see how one team could absolutely freak out and say, we're taking him. You know, top 10, top 15, whatever. It's very, very rare athleticism you're getting with Noah Fant. And, and, and the Packers could do that too. You think about a creative play caller like Matt LaFleur and the kinds of things he could do with an athletic freak like Noah Fant playing as a tight end. I don't know. So that's sort of my nothing answer to this question. The best I can tell you outside of I don't know is it just doesn't feel like a Packers thing to do. Even though it's a fit, it just seems like they like to go defensive line, defensive end, cornerback, safety, quarterback if it's a need, tackle if it's a need, which could be the route that we go, tackle, edge, possibly defensive line, definitely safety. But as far as our our depth at running back, as far as getting another tight end that's going to be the future tight end, it feels like more of a Packer thing to do to wait until the fourth round and get a a Richard Rodgers type in the fourth round. But we'll see. I don't know. That's, That's just my thought. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, getting to the next question now. This is a text from my buddy Kyle from Kansas. Thanks, Kyle, for everything. All the questions really help the show. All the support with uh, sharing it in Facebook groups and whatnot, I really appreciate that. But here's his question. Why do the Packers draft players that are decent at two or three positions instead of players that are good to great at just one? I understand the versatility, but why draft a linebacker that played safety in college or a wide receiver to play running back or a guy that can't play everything but center and not great at any or a corner that can sometimes play safety? I also understand it can create matchup problems for opposing teams. Very frustrating to see the Packers do it and think that might work, but usually doesn't. Kyle from Kansas. So I I generally agree. And I again, I'm, I'm with you in the fact that in theory I get it. But I also go back to what I had mentioned before. There's a difference between being a tweener and being versatile, right? Picture that Venn diagram. Now, 
Close your eyes and picture this. What is a Venn diagram? We just got two circles. Let's say it's safety and linebacker. The ideal is to fill up the whole circle. So if you're going to play safety, I want you to be somebody that can play safety really well. And the best of the best, just fill up that entire circle. Now, a versatile player, in my mind, is somebody that fills up a large portion of both circles, meaning they're very good at both positions. I think far too often, and this is what Kyle is talking about, we're looking so much at versatility, we don't get versatile players, we get tweeners. And tweeners fill up that little gap, or that, that little you know, oval that's created by combining the two circles, but they don't really fill up either of the two circles by themselves. So you get a guy that can technically stand in the box and do something in the box because of his skill set, and he can stand deep, but he's not good at either position. So instead of getting versatile, we get a tweener who's really just bad at both spots. Versatile is awesome. Now, I think the big one of the big reasons that versatile is helpful, well, there's, there's two reasons, and you kind of pointed it out. One is, is being, being able to confuse the offense. Right? You can't just look at who's on the field and say, okay, this is what's happening. You don't really know. right? If, if you have the ability, let's say Zadarius. Think about Zadarius for a second. This guy can put his hand in the dirt as a defensive tackle all the way up until nose tackle. I've seen him in the middle of the defense. Granted, he was lined up technically kind of over the guard, but you know, whatever. He was the guy in the middle of the three down linemen. So he can be hand in the dirt. He can be stand up outside linebacker. He can rush the passer. He can drop back into coverage. So this guy can be just about anywhere in a pretty big radius doing a lot of different things, inside, outside, rush the pass or stop the run, cover the pass. That's very, very valuable, not just from a confusion standpoint, but also it's a, it's a, it's a problem to have a 53-man roster because you have constraints, right? If, if the Packers have injuries, and they do every year, and this is kind of a problem, and you have just guys that do one thing, and it, it, let's say each one of those guys is super specialized. Well, if you lose one of those guys, that entire role is eliminated. Let's say you got three linebackers, and one of them is the guy that can't really move, but he's a thumper, meaning I, I can cover about five yards to my left, you know, to my left and right, so two and a half yards each, and I can, you know, take on a block and just nail somebody coming at me. You got another guy that can chase, right? He's got speed going laterally. And you got a third guy that can cover, which typically those are seen as the same thing, but they're not. Well, what happens if the, the guy who's stuck in the mud gets hurt? Your run defense plummets because he's the only guy that can do that. The other two guys are just really run fast guys. But your ability to stop it up the middle is, is ruined. You know, and if the, if the chase guy gets hurt, you got a guy that can't run and a guy that's pretty fast and is good in coverage, but, you know, maybe he's not a good tackler. I don't know what the problem is. The ability to stop them on the outside and to be able to get to the outside before the offensive line can block you up is, is gone. And of course, the, the cover guy. Whereas if you have somebody, and this is the, the appeal to drafting somebody like Devin White, and I, you know, whatever, Devin Bush, Devin White, whoever it is in your mind can do these things. If you draft somebody that can do all three, and this would be a Venn diagram with three circles, that's incredibly valuable. Because now the offense can't just look at who's on the field and go, oh, okay, you know, two of the three linebackers are on the field, this guy's not. You know, the stuck-in-the-mud guy's not out there because it's third and seven. I'm going to take my chances and run up the middle and say that we got a pretty good shot at this. Because if I can get a guard to the next level, he's just going to wipe both of these guys off the map. You know, I'll have my tight end run out in the flat. That'll make the, the cover guy go running for his life. And the chase guy's just going to get steamrolled. So it, it's one of those things that, in theory, it makes a lot of sense. And you need to have versatility. But I agree, we, we got to stop making sure everybody's versatile. Why can't we specialize maybe once in a while, right? It's great to be able to have your Swiss Army knife. But I got to be honest, Swiss Army knives, not super great knives, right? I can't open a can, at least not very effectively, with a machete, 
But if I'm trying to cut my way through a forest, I don't really want the Swiss Army knife. It does have a knife. Also has a little saw. Got a bunch of stuff. I don't want it for this job. And the problem is you got a bunch of Swiss Army knives out there, and it just... None of them really do a good job of any one thing, and that is a problem, and I absolutely agree with you that that's a problem. And I would love to see the Packers kind of specialize once in a while, as opposed to emphasizing, well, you have to be able to do all these six things. How about he can do one thing really well, and he can do the other thing to a, to a degree that is just not devastatingly horrible? Like a defensive lineman that's just a, an app, like a Snacks Harrison. You know how many sacks he's going to get us? Pretty close to zero. Do you know how many teams are going to run up the middle with that guy on the defensive line? Also pretty close to zero. This guy devours offensive linemen. Now the Packers don't really want that guy. The Packers, if you've noticed, they don't go out and draft the 328-pound nose tackles anymore. Again, our nose tackle is like 313 pounds, and he's you know on the verge of getting 10 sacks every year. That's a Packers nose tackle. And he's, he, he is a versatile player. He's not a tweener. He is awesome player against the run, and he is a very good pass rusher, as is Mike Daniels. Versatile is great when it works, but yeah, we, we do pass up a lot of guys that would be very good in one aspect, and I, and I think in the first round is when you get versatile players. I think the first round is a great time to target that. As you get into the later rounds, it would be a good idea to specialize, because you only got certain kinds of guys in the later rounds. If you can do everything and do it well, you're a first round pick, maybe second round guy. After that, you get guys that are tweeners that aren't very good at anything or you know not super great at any one thing and you got guys that just specialize you know I mean I think Jake Ryan is a good example the Packers drafted Jake Ryan in the fourth round probably had a pretty good idea that this is not a really good cover guy and that's fine he served a role he served a purpose and when you pair him with a guy like Blake Martinez or Oren Burks or whatever you can kind of cover a multiple a multitude of things Jake Ryan will never be Luke Keekley, but when you're in the fourth round you got to kind of pick and choose a little bit I have similar sentiments with this, uh, you know, athleticism stuff. It just, I mean, come on, man. Just please, just just get a good football player. I, I'm, I, I love that these guys are athletic, and that's cool, and it, it denotes a lot of upside. But there's a lot of good football players that we're passing up on because this guy, you know, runs really fast for his size. I mean, come on, man. But anyways, that's that. All right, so I think at this point I'm all caught up. It's possible that I skipped over one. I just didn't see it. So if you ask me a question either via um, voicemail or text, just send it again. But as far as the phone number is concerned, I think I'm finally caught up. So I think other than, uh, you know, Lucas Patrick coming back and everybody trashing Tom Silverstein for getting some numbers wrong, which he didn't even get the numbers wrong. Somebody told him wrong. But I think balance has been restored on that issue. Neither of those are super interesting. So I think to end the show, since there was a question about tight end and I've been kind of running through different draft prospects, and I want to make this a regular kind of thing. And again, if you have a question about a prospect, we'll, we'll start with the, the big name guys and we'll kind of work our way down. But anybody you have a question about, just ask. And we'll take a look at the uh, pro football focus draft guy, which provides a ton of insights, not just their grades, but their stats and everything else. So since it was a question about tight end, let's look at the top two guys today. First of all, Noah Fant. Well, I guess we'll take them both at the same time as we look for, at these uh, rankings here. Yards per route run. Now, this is hilarious because both of these guys go to the same school. In order, from from most to least, I guess. I'm not going to read the whole list, but Caleb Wilson out of UCLA, Irv Smith, Alabama, uh, Romello Brooker out of Houston, then TJ Hawkinson ranks fourth, CJ Conrad, Keenan Brown, and then Noah Fant is seventh. This is a big list, but these guys are up at the top. Uh, Noah Fant, by the way, 2.15 yards per route run. And again, that's per route run. Every time the ball snaps and it's a pass, he's averaging two yards. 
In terms of overall grade, PFF wasn't super flattering. Uh, they gave him a 77.3, which is good. Looking at this little spider chart here, it was his uh, first down conversion and his drop rate that were really low. Everything else was pretty high and well above average. Um, in terms of his uh, specialized grading, as a receiver, he was given a grade of 80, which is very good. Barely in the very good category, but very good. Uh, pass blocking was good. Run blocking was average. Uh, some of his other stats that were pretty solid. He was third in slot receiver yards in college at 283, 13th in slot receptions at 14, 7th in deep passing receptions, which is 20 or more at uh, 4 receptions, and was 6th in deep passing yards, 149 total yards. Now, the biggest thing here is going to be his athleticism. So if you look at his com combine results, he's got 33 and a half inch arm, which is above average, which is pretty solid considering he's pretty much an average-sized tight end. All right, 6'4", 250. That's pretty standard. But he does have above-average arm length. Hand size is average. Bench press a little above average, but pretty standard at about 20 for tight end. A 1-5-5, 10-yard split. Now we're getting into the territory where he's kind of impressing some people. That's a pretty pretty low number in a good way. A 4-5-40, which is really fast for a tight end. Average is probably around, you know, 4-7s for most tight ends. So 4-5, I mean, that's that's wide receiver speed, right? That's a little bit faster than Devontae runs. His vert, you know, you're looking at uh, vert and broad jump explosion. His vertical was 39.5, which is pretty solid. Broad jump 127, which is a lot. 6-8-1, three cone is just ridiculous. Again, you're, you're looking mid to low sevens on average for tight end. And his shuttle time, a little bit faster than usual. I think his, his short shuttle was pretty average, his... Uh, 60-yard shuttle was a little better than average, but pretty average. But overall, he's an athlete. That's what gets people excited. He's an athlete. I think the bigger problem for me is the fact that he's an athlete, but it's not like this guy's a freak athlete. Right? He didn't run a 4-4-2. He ran a 4-5. He's average build. I think in terms of his blocking ability, even his receiving ability, his route running, I mean, nobody's really coming out and saying this guy's an incredible guy. It's just a matter of imagine his upside because of his athleticism. Which, again, there's a lot of guys with athleticism in the NFL. Now, the height-weight-speed combination and everything is really awesome. But I think for the most part, you're just looking at a guy that has upside that didn't produce as much. You know, 2018, he only caught 39 passes for 519 yards, 7 touchdowns. I mean, if we're talking about some freakishly elite tight end, he should be the best wide receiver on that entire team. 500 yards, 7 touchdowns, that doesn't exactly blow me away. So I'm not opposed to it. He's going to be one of the more athletic guys. It's going to be really hard to cover him because he's just going to be able to beat linebackers, especially at 6'4", 250. But I guess I'm not really blown out of the water with that. You know, looking back over, I mean, he's, he's far and away the fastest in this draft class. But, I mean, some other guys that ran 4'5", A.C. Leonard, Chris Gregg, James Hanna ran a 4'4", 9". You know, Evan Ingram, the guy that went in the second round to the Giants, he ran a 4'4", Vernon Davis ran a 4'3", So when we talk about athletic freaks... Vernon Davis is kind of what you think about. This dude is not Vernon Davis. And to be completely honest, 4-5 just isn't as good as I had thought he would be. Again, his vert is awesome. Uh, going all the way back to 2006, he ranks 7th. That's really awesome. But some other guys who are just about as awesome, Bucky Hodges, Colt Lyerla, remember that guy? Clay Harbor, Virgil Green, the guy that, that's number one over that period of time in 2010, 43 and a half inches, Doran Dickerson. Now, you know, again, you got Vernon Davis, who was 42 inches. You got Jared Cook, another athletic freak. So, I mean, if you're getting Jared Cook, that's awesome. If you're getting Vernon Davis, that's awesome. If you're getting Clay Harbor, that's not great. So that's really the question. We get that he's athletic. What else? 
That's the biggest question. If it's just the athleticism, we can look at 50 other guys that were great athletes that didn't pan out as tight ends at all. So is this Evan Ingram? In which case, you can expect to see him fall into the second round. Is this Jared Cook? In which case, he definitely should go first round. I'm not even going to say is this Vernon Davis because that's just silly. Or is this, you know, Bucky Hodges who blew up the combine, but Pittsburgh took him, you know, in 2017 in the sixth round. Or excuse me, the Vikings did. Guy who hasn't even seen the field. So I guess the point is with Noah Fant, you have to make your evaluation not on his combine. Everybody knew his combine was going to be good. You have to evaluate him as a player based on what you saw in college. Based on all that little nuanced stuff, the route running. Now, is he a hands catcher, a body catcher? Can he separate? Can he win contested catches? How does he look in the red zone? Is he is he beating linebackers? Is he winning across the middle? Is he winning, you know, does he find spots in the zone? Whatever. That's kind of what you got to look at. And for me, I don't know. I, I remember hearing about, I mean, Noah Fant was the first guy I think anybody ever, ever talked up, ever. Like last year, maybe, I don't know, nine, ten months ago. Somebody reached out and was like, dude, you got to check out Noah Fant. He's going to be a freak. And I remember watching him and thinking, he doesn't seem that good. And then I didn't hear anything about him for a while. And then all of a sudden, the Noah Fant hype started up. And I was like, oh, there he is. Okay, got it. That guy was right. But I mean, watching him, it was just kind of, okay, seems fine. So I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm not blown away. I'm not whatever. Kind of like DK Metcalf, but not even quite. To the point where it's like, I get the upside. But can they be a good tight end? Can they block? Can they be a receiver? I get the upside. I get that he has the upside to be, you know, the next Jared Cook. I'm just curious if he's going to be Jared Cook. Anyways, I was going to do TJ Hawkinson, but I think we're going long enough, and it's actually five minutes past when I should have had this uploaded, so I really got to fly. We'll talk about Hawkinson another time. You folks have yourselves a fantastic Wednesday is what I believe it is. Talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.